Well, welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program today. God bless you. I'm so glad that you've tuned in. We're going to be in a brand new book of the Bible. It's called the Epistle of Paul, I mean the Epistle of James. And uh, it's a very, very practical, practical epistle. And I'm sure that we're going to enjoy the study of this wonderful book. Uh, But before we begin, let's just go ahead and have a word of prayer. Let's first of all, let's hear from the psalmist. Let's hear and see what uh, he has to say. Notice it says here, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy and because of your truth. And it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you in the name of Jesus. We praise you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for wisdom and revelation that comes in the knowledge of you. So, Lord, we just ask you to open up the eyes of our understanding. Lord, flood our hearts with light and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. In Jesus name. Amen and amen. All right. Well, before we begin our study, let's just go ahead and get a little bit of background on this epistle. Uh, This is a very practical uh, epistle, a very practical letter. Matter of fact, it's the beginning of what uh, scholars call and categorize as the general epistles. And of course, the word general means universal. And these collections of epistles uh, were grouped because they're not really written to a particular church, but to, they are written to the Christian public at hand. And so when we say the epistle of James, uh, we've got to know which James we're talking about because there's three different James uh, mentioned in the New Testament. Of course, the first James we can think of is the brother of John. They were called the sons of thunder, and they were also part of uh, Jesus in a circle, Peter, James, John, and also Andrew. But uh, this James was not the author of this epistle. And then there's another James. He was also an apostle. He was called James, the son of Alphaeus. And he came to be known as James the Less. And the only reason uh, he was called that was to um, distinguish him from James, the brother of John. Also, this James, James, son of Alphaeus or James the Less, there's really not a whole lot we know about him. But we know that he was an apostle and we know that he did stick with the Lord Jesus. We know that he was there in the upper room and we know that he went out and preached Christ. Amen. And then there's the third James. This James was the brother of Jesus, who originally uh, during Jesus' earthly ministry did not believe in, in Jesus at all, did not believe that he was the Lord or the Messiah or anything like that. It wasn't until after Jesus rose from the dead and personally appeared to his brother James uh, that he became a follower of the Lord Jesus. And of course, we see this James, the brother of the Lord, who was called James the Just, by the way. About 10 years after the resurrection of Christ, we see him as the leader of the church at Jerusalem. So uh, it's very clear that uh, this epistle is epistle written with authority. You can you can tell that as you read through the book. But this 
the theme of this epistle is also is, is not it's not of works, but it's faith, faith by works. Amen. And so I like to read what J. Vernon McGee says concerning the introduction uh, to this book. Notice he writes, it is clear that James theme is not works, but faith, the same as Paul's theme. But James emphasizes what faith produces. Both James and Paul speak a great deal of faith and works. Faith is the root of salvation. Paul emphasizes that. Works are the fruit of salvation, and that is the thing James emphasizes. Faith is the cause of salvation, and works are the result of salvation. So what we're going to receive as we study this epistle is we're going to receive a lot of practical knowledge and how that we are to approach the Word of God, how we are to approach the world uh, concerning our behavior, concerning our attitude. So I know this is going to be a very exciting, very exciting study. So let's go ahead and let's begin. James chapter 1. Now this first section I've entitled The Test of Faith. Notice James begins... James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Notice that the word, uh, the, 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 uh, the phrase scattered abroad, talking about the diaspora. And of course, <clears throat> who James is writing to are those Jews that are outside of Jerusalem. Uh, could be as far away as Syria, maybe even as far away as Babylon. But now that's concerning the Jews. And of course, the date of the writing of this letter, some fix it as early as 45 A.D. If that's true, if that's the earliest date of the writing of this epistle, then that means that this letter was written before the epistles of Paul. And it also means that this letter was written before uh, Paul began his first missionary journey. Notice the the uh, the really the totality of the missionary journeys of Paul was to the Gentile world. But now this letter is addressed to Hebrew Christians, just like Paul's letter to Hebrews was addressed to Hebrew Christians. But it also applies to us today. The truth of God is the truth of God for all generations. Amen. All right. Now, verse two, my brethren counted all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, notice that that is the apostolic response to persecution, to trial and to temptation. Notice James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. It reminds us of what the Apostle Paul said over in Romans chapter five, when he says, and not only so, but we glory. Notice that we glory In temptations, knowing that temptation works patience and patience experience. This is exactly uh, James's theme in the first part of this letter. Notice he says here, knowing this, verse three, that the trying of your faith works patience. Notice that the trying of your faith or the proving of your faith. I remember years ago in high school. I took an elective called Metal Shop, and one of our projects was to make a chisel. So I had to take a bare piece of metal. I had to heat it real hot. I had to beat one end down to a point, file it, 
And then after I did that, I dipped the hot metal into cold water. And this tempered the steel. It made the steel harder. Well, I had to do that several times. But here at the very end of my project, the shop teacher took that chisel. He beat on it with a hammer to make sure that that metal did not break. And if the metal, uh, if the metal chisel withstood that beating, that testing, it was proved to be a good chisel. In other words, I pass, praise the Lord. Amen. And that's exactly this word here, the trying of your faith means. It means that God allows testing and trial to come our way to prove that we can overcome, to prove our faith. But notice verse (coughs) 3 says, knowing this, that the trying or the proving of our faith works patience. Amen. Works patience. In other words, it works endurance. It's just like exercise. When you begin exercising, there's not too far that you can go before your muscles begin to tire, before you begin to win. But the more you practice, the more you prove yourself, the more you work, the greater your endurance becomes, the stronger your muscles become. Amen. And then you get to the place to where, you know, you can run long distances if you chose to. And so this is exactly what Paul is talking about here. I mean, what James is talking about here. He's talking about how the trying or the proving of our faith works patience. And then he says in verse four, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. But let patience have her perfect work. In other words, you just stay in faith through the temptation, through the testing, through the trial. You don't quit. You don't give up. You don't go back. Amen. Why? Because patience is going to have her perfect work. And that perfect work is it's going to make you perfect and entire wanting nothing. In other words, you're going to receive a complete victory by just staying the test, by allowing God to move in your life, you remaining in faith and not wavering, We're going to talk about that in a few moments. Amen. Just not quit. Not quit until you pass the test. Amen. All right. Now, let's talk about the wisdom of faith. Beginning in verse five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Notice that the word wisdom there means knowledge applied. You may know from from teaching what the word says, but how to apply the word. See, that's the wisdom of God. Amen. But notice that James says here, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, this word ask is the word iteo, and it means to make a strong demand. It means something to require a boldness in prayer. If any of you lack wisdom, let boldly come before God to receive what you need and what I need to overcome and to pass through the test. And when we do that, James says this. He says, God, and we should already know this, that God gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He withholds no good thing to them that walk uprightly before him. 
Amen. So if we're in a test, if we're in a trial, and we don't know what to do, and we don't know how to do it, what are we to do? We're to go to God. We're to go to the Lord in prayer. Actually, we should already be in prayer. As a matter of fact, this maxim we should all observe that in any situation, in any circumstance we find ourselves in, the first thing that we are to think of, our first reaction is, what does the Word of God have to say about this subject? And if we don't know, then we need to find out. We need to go to God in prayer. We need to go to the Word. Now, most likely what's going to happen is when we begin praying about this situation, there's going to be the Holy Spirit is going to bring up a word of Scripture or something that the Lord said to us before. And that is the key for us to be able to stand the winds of adversity and to get through the test. Amen. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Now, what does this mean? Give liberally and upbraideth not. And that means that God gives abundantly and he gives ungrudgingly. He's not going to hold back for you or I. Amen. Because he's already said it's the father. Jesus said this. It's the father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Amen. And so when we're lacking wisdom and knowing what to do and how to do it, then we go to God in prayer. And we go to God in prayer based upon his word. Amen. That's what we're wanting. We're wanting the Holy Spirit to direct us to know how to do and what to do to get through the temptation. And notice it says finally in this verse, and it shall be forgiven him. And it shall be, I'm sorry, and it shall be given him. It shall be. Not a greater force in the English language than shall be. It shall be given him. When we go to God, amen, when we ask for wisdom, we already know that when we go into prayer, that God is going to give, God, that God is a liberal God, that he gives liberally and he gives ungrudgingly, it shall be given him. So we know the things that we have need of before we ask. Amen. And then, of course, James says this in verse six, but <coughs> let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. But let him ask in faith. Amen. Reminds us and should remind us of what Jesus said concerning the faith of God in Mark 11. 22, have faith in God. For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And then Jesus says this, whosoever shall, whosoever, whenever you ask, believe that you receive them he says it this way, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. So faith is always mixed in our praying. When we're asking God for wisdom, we have to mix our praying with faith. And when we believe that we receive them, we'll have them. In other words, God has already said, ye shall have them. Amen. It shall be given him. 
Whatever wisdom you need to get out of the situation, God will provide it. Amen. And then he says this, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is as a wave of the sea. And then James says in verse 7, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So that's the requirement in this situation. You must mix what we're praying with faith. And I know that there is a type of prayer where you're begging God and you're calling out for his mercy and things like that. And all that's well and all of that's good. But that, that is also done in faith. Amen. We're asking for wisdom. We mix our praying with faith. And God says it will be given him. And we can't be what verse eight says. Notice a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I know testings and temptations and trials, they rock us like waves of the sea. Remember the Apostle Peter when he got out of the boat and began to walk on water and he looked at the wind and the waves and and he began to fear and he began to sink. And I know that there are situations that that uh, can pose that kind of a threat to us. But we have to stay single minded. Notice again what James says, a double minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now, what does that mean? That means somebody who's not consistent. He's in the spirit one minute and he's out of spirit the next. He turns everything, turns all of his care over to the Lord and then he takes it right back. See, that's being a double minded person. He's inclined to one opinion, one moment, and then he's inclined to another the next moment. Just rocking, being rocked back and forth. No, we have to stand upon the word of God. Remember that the psalmist says that what God has done for us, he lifts our head up above our enemies and he plants our feet upon solid ground. The solid ground is the word of God. Amen. Our head being lifted up above our enemies talks about who we are in Christ Jesus. But we're rooted and grounded in the word of God. So that's where we stand. We stand upon the word. Amen. We don't look around from side to side. No, we look up. We look up and we're standing on the word of God. Amen. And we refuse to get off the word of God. And we, re we refuse to allow the winds of adversity to cause us to fear or to take back that anxiety that we've already cast upon the Lord. Remember what Peter said. Cast all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Amen. <coughs> all right, let's look at verse nine. This this section I've entitled the reward of enduring the test of faith. Notice James writes in verse nine, he says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat than it withers the grass and the flower falls and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Now, what Paul is talking about, I mean, what James is talking about here, he's talking about getting our minds upon ourself. And that's what the rich man does. It's all about him. It's not about anybody else. It's all about him. But the poor man, he's in such a situation. He's been humbled so in life that the only the only uh, direction he has to look is up. He's looking up to God. 
you see. And in the testing and the trial, that's what we are. We are like that man who's poor in spirit. We're always looking up to God. We don't take matters into our own hands like, like rich men do. They feel like, well, you know, I can do it myself. No, we, want, we don't want that attitude. That is an attitude for failure. No, we want to be like the man poor in spirit. We're always looking up to God. A meek man, that's what a meek man is. He recognizes his strength is in the Lord and in the Lord alone. And it's to him that he looks. And of course, here's the blessing of the man who's in faith, who's enduring testing and trials. Notice this, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Amen. So, in the testing and the trial, we're not going to turn back. We're not going to get over into the sin and doubt of unbelief. No, we're going to stay true to God. We're going to stay true to the Word. We're going to continue to pray. And we're going to put on our smiley face. Notice what Paul says in writing to the Philippian church. He says, Be careful for nothing. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So that's our attitude. That's how we're going to be. We're going to continue to make our requests known to God. And when the an now the answer is in this, in the very next verse, and the God of peace that passes all understanding shall keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, shall keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So Christ in the testing and in the trial will keep our hearts and minds in peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep us. So even in the testing and the trial, if we have truly cast everything over on the Lord, <coughs> He is going to keep us. Amen. And then we are going to sail through the adversity of life and we're going to come, amen, to the harbor of safety. Praise God. Amen. Blessed is the man that endures temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Notice that the crown of life is given to all of us that endure to the very end, that don't quit, that don't give up, that don't turn back. This is especially true of the Hebrew Christians. They were under they were under a lot of pressure to return to Judaism, to that old form of worship that had passed away. And, and James is reminding them, no, you endure to the end and you'll receive the crown of life. Amen. Given to all of those that remain faithful to the very end. Praise God. All right. Now, James here in this next session, he's going to begin to talk about the root of testing and temptation. Notice in verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, there's three areas that you and I have to be concerned with. That is the area of temptation that comes from the world, society, culture. We are to be separate from the world. We are to we are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. The flesh our own fleshly passions. We have to guard against them. We have to constantly be putting under our flesh. Remember what Paul said. 
He said, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable worship or spiritual worship. Amen. So we're constantly keeping our body under. That's what Paul said. I keep my body under. I keep it in subjection. Less than when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. You and I do not want to be castaways. We don't want to live our life out in the flesh and then have to be ashamed when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. No, we want to be victorious. So we need to guard against the flesh. And then there are direct attacks from the devil. So there's three areas that we need to guard against the world, the flesh and the devil. But God has given us through his blood and through the Holy Spirit, he's given us victory over all three of them. But we have to exercise faith to do that. And so James admonishes now, verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Now, this word conceive comes from the Greek word sulambano. And what it means, it means to clasp. It means to seize. It means the wo a woman conceiving seed in the midst of intercourse. That's what this word, this, this idea comes, this word conceived. So when we're dealing with um, lust and we're being impressed in our flesh. We're being impressed upon our mind. It's time for us to begin to stand upon the word of God and resist that. Remember what Peter said, resist the devil. Resist the devil and he'll flee from us. James, I mean, Paul said that. And uh, Peter said this, whom resists steadfast in the faith, talking about resisting the devil. Amen. So we don't want this seed of lust to conceive sin. Notice what uh, James writes here. He says, Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. What is he talking about? Death in the widest sense. Death comprising miseries that arise from sin. Take a young girl, a Christian girl that goes to college. She fully intends to attend, you know, classes, graduate, and start a career and then eventually get married, find a good Christian boy, a good Christian man to marry. But in college now, she meets some guy who's the, whose only interest is to take her to bed. And she gives in to that lust. And it ruins her life. Well, what if that Christian girl gets pregnant and she can't bear the shame? So she goes and compounds that sin by getting an abortion. And then she's got to live with that tragedy the rest of her life. You see, that, that lust that she gave into has produced death. She went into college intending to go one way and went an entirely different way, and it ruined her life. See, so lust comes from the world, the pressures of the world, the flesh, or the devil. And how do we stand against lust? We do it with the Word of God. Amen. And then finally, verse 16, James very, very simply says this. Do not err, my beloved brethren. In other words, don't fall into that trap. All right, let's finish out. 
Now, here's the acknowledgement of faith. Notice this. This is uh, the positive side. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. Paul, James here is talking about born again children of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Wherefore, now this is the holiness of faith. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness. That's dirt. The world is filled with dirt. And superfluity of naughtiness, that means an overwhelming of or overflowing of wickedness and receive with Mac with meekness the engrafted word. Once again, how do we stand against the things of the world, the flesh and the devil? The engrafted word, the word that is in our heart. We get the word of God. We plant it in our heart, which is able to save our souls. In other words, the word, the implanted word will rescue us. It will show us what we need to do to get out of the testing and the trial. Praise God. And then finally, let's look at the obedience of faith. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know how a hearer deceives himself? Because he can look at the word of God. He can receive the word of God. But he thinks by not acting upon the word, it's not going to harm him. But it places him in a place where he will be deceived of the devil. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. See, that's the contrast. Now, look at the effect. Verse 25. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, right, verse 26, verse 26 and 27. First, the contrast. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. In other words, it's worthless. We can call ourselves Christians all day long, but if we're just hearers and not acting upon the word of God, it's really our religion is worthless. But verse 27 says this, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Amen. That's the effect. That's why we stand upon the word of God. We put the word first. We meditate the word, get grounded in it, get it in our heart. Amen. Hallelujah. And God will direct our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc 
C86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.